Let's turn in our Bible, shall we, to Revelation chapter 20. If you need a copy of God's Word, the ushers will be happy to get one into your hands. Just get their attention. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. I'm so thankful for Pastor Garth's sermon last week, and I hope that you were able to hear it. I was blessed by it, immensely blessed by it. God is good and deserves, deserves our praise. Deserves our praise. That was last week. This week, we find out what happens if we don't do it. We find out what happens if we don't worship God. We find out what happens if we don't exalt Him. Because a day is coming when we will have to answer for it. When we will have to answer for not praising God. We will have to answer for not loving God. We will have to answer for not making Jesus Christ our living and constant and abiding hope. There is a day coming that way. A day that Jesus will determine our final destiny. And so with so much to cover, I want to get right at it. Starting with verse 11, Revelation 20, you follow along. Then, John says, the Apostle John, it's after his vision of Satan's banishment at the end of the millennium, remember from a few weeks ago, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, no exceptions, no exceptions, no exemptions from the great white throne. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Let's stop there for a second. The books, plural, books, plural, represent our works in life, how we've lived our life, good and bad, good, bad, or ugly. While the book, singular, notice the difference, the book, singular, the book of life, John tells us, represents our inclusion in God's family. The book of life represents our inclusion in God's family. The books, plural, represent our works in life, how we have lived. The book of life being most important, recording who's in God's family and who's not, who's saved and who isn't. Books, plural, the book, singular, and most important as we'll see. Meanwhile, the dead in verse 12, you see it there, the dead, two times, the dead refers to the unbelieving dead, the unbelieving dead. Those who died apart from Christ. Implying then that they too have been resurrected. Just like John said back in verse 5. Remember that? Check it out there. Just go back to verse 5 really quick. Chapter 20. The rest of the dead, he says, as in unbelievers, in contrast to the believers at the end of verse 4 who came to life at the beginning of the millennium. The rest of the dead, he says, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And sure enough, John sees them here in verse 12, resurrected and standing before the throne. And then in verse 13, he reiterates it. 
and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades referring to the entire realm of the dead. The entire realm of the dead and the reality of death itself. That's the idea of this phrase, death and Hades. The entire realm of the dead and the reality of death itself. The point being, death and its consequences are forever banished at this point in history. Death and its consequences, hell, are forever banished. Never again will someone breathe their last. Never again will someone, quote unquote, give up the ghost. It's our first indicator that what happens at the great white throne isn't all bad. That our living hope is still sure. Then John says at the second part of verse 14, this is the second death the lake of fire. He inserts this explanatory comment uh, for good reason because at this point we're swimming in it as I imagine you're kind of swimming and that's why I'm trying to take this a, a phrase or a sentence at a time. He says this is the second death and then he refers exactly to what he just said, the second death, the lake of fire. And hopefully you remember that as well from verse six. Look back, verse six. Blessed and holy, John says, is the one who shares in the first resurrection with an exclamation point, the resurrection of the saints when Jesus returns. That's the first resurrection. The resurrection of the saints when Jesus returns before the millennium even starts. Over such, still there in verse six, over such, over such believers, the second death has no power. The second death of being banished forever and ever to the lake of fire, verse 14. The first death, our physical death, has power over everyone, unbelievers and believers alike. But the second death is only for unbelievers. The lake of fire. And then he ends with this in verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Yes, there's judgment based on what people do in their life, their works, written in the books. Yes. But the determining factor that trumps everything else, that exceeds everything else, is whether they're a part of God's family, whether they're a part of God's people. The works of the flesh found in the other books simply prove what's found in the book. That's how those two relate. The works of the flesh, the works of the lives of unbelievers as found in the books, plural, simply prove what's written in the book. And notice the implication here with verse 15 that believers are present as well at this great white throne judgment. 
Look at it. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If, very first word there, implying that some names were found. If anyone's name was not found, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Implies that some names were found. Some people will be listed who are standing there. And that implies that everyone will stand before the great white throne. In other words, it's the final judgment of all mankind. The great white throne is the final judgment of all mankind. Judgment in the sense of a decision. Decision. See if you can maybe do away with your previous conception of judgment as only as in punishment. That's how we tend to think about judgment most of the time, isn't it? It's like terrible consequences, punishment. But, but judgment is also, or could be, a decision. In this case, a decision regarding our eternity. And with everyone standing there, believers and unbelievers alike, it's a decision for better or worse. There's a negative connotation to judgment, absolutely, but there's also a positive connotation to it, a decision to bless. And here it's both. Here it's both. And we get the idea of judgment, of course, because that's what verses 12 and 13 say. The dead were judged, verse 12. I love it when it's explicit. And, and they were judged, each one of them, verse 13. Plus, from verse 11, the very idea of a throne conveys judgment, doesn't it? Or decision-making in general, a throne conveys. And a white throne conveys perfect judgment. And a great white throne the authority to perfectly judge. The authority to perfectly judge. Put all that together, and this is judgment day. The proverbial judgment day. Or the day of judgment, as Jesus said it in the Gospels. That day that we often, I think, think of as this looming cloud just over the horizon. Sometimes when I look out the west window of my office and there are storms rolling in, I marvel at the clouds that are just starting to form. It makes me, uh, re reminds me of Elijah and, and his servant who came back and said, they're like, like this little bitty cloud on the horizon. And that's kind of what we think of Judgment Day, I think. It's this, it's this cloud that we know is coming and, and it looms greater and greater in our life the more we get closer and closer to death, which, though we don't think about much, could be tomorrow. It's this looming cloud that we don't like to think about unless it's, I don't know, beautified in a painting or dramatized in a movie or trivialized in a joke. Pretty sure that you've seen all of those or heard or experienced all of those aspects of the judgment day. Except judgment day is anything but a joke, isn't it? Because it's the day toward which all of history is rushing. Rushing. The day that we are laid bare, the Bible tells us, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, Hebrews 4. And the day of which Scripture repeatedly speaks over and over again in multiple different ways, like Psalm 62, 12, that says that God will render to a man according to his work. 
The very verse and phrase that the Apostle Paul picked up on and repeated in Romans 2.6. In Matthew 12.36 where Jesus said, On the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak. In 1 Peter 1.17, God judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Judgment day is all over the Bible and the great white throne is it. It's it. Now, that's not to say that God always waits to hand out judgment. You hear me refer to that from time to time at communion, 1 Corinthians 11. But rather, this is to say that this is the worst and last of God's judgment. The worst and last, in fact, of God's wrath. The great white throne judgment is the final judgment of all mankind or the worst and last of God's wrath. Because in addition to the day of judgment, the great white throne is also called a day of wrath. By description, it's called a day of wrath. Like Zephaniah 1.15, a day of wrath is that day. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. It fits. It fits. A full and sudden end he will make of all mankind, all unbelievers. Unbelievers because whoever believes in the Son, Jesus passed on to the apostles. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Life. There will not be a sudden and full end to those who believe in the Son. But whoever does not obey the Son, whoever doesn't believe, it says, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It remains on unbelievers, and it will be poured out on unbelievers at the great white throne. Listen, loved one, if you think of God only as loving, you worship an idol. And that kind of idol worship is going on all over the place as we speak. If you think of God only as loving, you believe in an idol. Because he's also holy. He's also just. He's also full of wrath. And the only thing that appeases that wrath, the only thing that propitiates it, biblical word, is the death of his son and your belief in it. The death of his son and your belief in him. Short of that, you're doomed. Romans 2.5 is clear, bringing all of these concepts together in one sentence. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, Paul says, because of your hard and defiant heart, because of your hard and unrepentant heart, I have people in my mind, even as I speak, that I've spoken to recently who will, will not, will not believe, will not turn, refuse, refuse to take in what the Bible says because of the hardness of their heart, because of some obstacle that they have in their mind. Who knows what it is because of their own pride, because they don't want to bend the knee. God help them. God help them. Because this is clear, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself, storing it up on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
the great white throne judgment, the worst and last of God's wrath, the worst and last of it. We don't talk much about wrath these days, but Jonathan Edwards is famous for it, especially his sinner, his, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Maybe you've heard of it. First preached in the summer of 1741, his sermon led to the first great awakening in our country. Oh, how we need another great awakening. God help us. It was first preached in the summer of 1741. It led to the first revival in our country. It led to broken people getting right and real before the Lord. It led to broken lives being healed. It led to families being restored. It led to the country being formed that we now enjoy. Make no mistake. It's probably the most famous sermon ever delivered. Unfortunately, by today's standards, it's infamous. It's thought very lightly of and very poorly of. I mean, today, the standard fare in church world is to tickle ears with a self-improvement talk. God is love and so are you. Kind of like a, a large group therapy session that treats God like a genie and people like kids. Just rub the lamp and pat the head and you'll be all right. Not Edwards. He emphasized that God's wrath is real, holy, fierce, and eternal. And he was spot on, biblical to the core. That God's wrath is a consuming rage with no end and no mercy. No end and no mercy. We've seen it already in the book of Revelation. And this is it. The great white throne judgment is it. Where anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone's name who, who is not, that is not written in the book of life will be thrown in the lake of fire. Unfortunately, most people live in denial these days. Refusing to believe in heaven, let alone hell. And if they do believe in hell, if they do believe in God's judgment and wrath, they certainly don't think it's for them or their loved ones or their friends or their co-workers. You know, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. The, the cloud hasn't yet appeared. Listen, if that's you, the best thing that you can do is expect it and live accordingly. Regarding the great white throne, the best thing that you can possibly do is expect it, certain as it is. Expect God's judgment of the world. Expect God's wrath on unbelievers and live appropriately, as in live for him, trust and obey. Turn to Jesus and follow Jesus. Best thing you can possibly do. And if you already do, if you already follow Jesus, be a light. Live accordingly that way. Shine brighter. Fly under the radar no more. Throw the bushel away. 
cultivate a sense of urgency for people and carry a constant burden for them. You say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. That'll rob me of joy. No, it won't. No, it won't. My burden is light, Jesus said. Jesus has a burden. Had and has, present tense. He has a burden for those whose light is completely dark right now, who don't know him, who don't follow him, who haven't turned. And when we carry the same, it's light with Jesus. But oh, that we would have a burden. Oh, that we would have such a sense of urgency. Because judgment is real, God's wrath is terrible, and people are in peril. They're in peril. Expect it and live accordingly. Second, regarding the great white throne judgment, it coincides with the destruction of the world. It coincides with the destruction of the world. Following the millennium and defeat of Satan that we see in the previous verses, the great white throne judgment seems to coincide with the demise of heaven and earth. John says in verse 11, look at it there again, that from his presence, the presence of Jesus, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Now, it's possible that this is only a metaphor here in verse 11. That earth and sky fled away. And to some extent, it, it is, for sure. A poetic way of describing the fear of all creation that is in bondage to sin and corruption, Romans chapter 8, and its desperate attempt to avoid the holiness of God at all costs. It, it would be like the same reason that someone who is deep in their sin, doesn't want to come in here. There are thousands of people with, within a stone's throw of here, proverbially speaking, who will not darken the doors of our church because they don't want to get anywhere close to any kind of holiness or talk thereof or God or talk thereof. All they want to do is stay as far away as possible. That's what sin does in the presence of holiness. It, it, it tries to get away. That's why we are so slow to repent ourselves, isn't it? We don't want to go stand before the Lord. We don't want to get on our knees before him. And so, for sure, this is a poetic way of describing the fear of all creation in its desperate attempt to avoid God's holiness at all costs. But I think that's only part of it. The other part is the literal end of all creation. Giving way and making way for new creation, a new heaven and earth. And indeed, that's exactly what follows in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. All of it, all of it, gone. Ixnade, out of existence. And so the flight in verse 11 is literal. It's the literal end of all creation. Hard to believe, hard to imagine. As big as this great earth is, as vast as the heavens are. It's just hard to get our minds around. But yet we know from other scriptures that it's not only true, but that the heavens and earth are going to burn. Like Isaiah says, for the heavens will vanish like smoke. In 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
And based on Revelation 20, verse 11, it coincides with the great white throne judgment. As if creation itself is being judged. So whatever you do, hold loosely and look ahead. Hold loosely and look ahead. Loosely because this is not our home. Sometimes our kids, Becky and I have never thought about this until a few years ago. We, we heard our kids start to talk about, well, we're, we're going to try to get into another house, but it's not our forever home. We're like, what, what, what is that? We, ne we never thought of any home except it's just the place we live right now. And maybe you've heard, maybe you use it. Nothing wrong with that. Not a single thing wrong with that. Except, except thinking that your forever home is your forever home. It's not. We need to hold loosely because this is not our home. Just like the patriarchs of old spoken of in Hebrews 11. I so, so love these passages. Instead of thinking that this is it, the earth we, as we now know it, instead of thinking that like this is our home, we should be looking and longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rest. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, like a vast progeny and a vast land. They all died in faith, but not having received them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar with the eyes of faith. That's the context here in this chapter having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Note that, strangers and exiles. For people who speak thus as strangers and exiles make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If, goes on, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, Ur of the Chaldeans for the patriarchs of old, they would have had opportunity to return if they had kept their mind on what's behind instead of their hand on the plow and their eyes forward, they would have had opportunity to, to go back and they probably would have to a temporary thing that they thought was permanent and forever. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They didn't desire, at least not first and foremost, they didn't desire an earthly country in the promised land, but a heavenly one, a heavenly place. That's the forever home that they yearned for. Therefore, it says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, a city in which to dwell. A city we know from Revelation 21 as New Jerusalem. A city referred to in Hebrews 11.10 whose designer and builder is God. That's the forever home that they yearned for. And that's the forever home that we should yearn for. And that means that we must, we have to hold loosely to the extent that you hold tight to this day, this time, this ground beneath your feet, your things, your possessions, your money, your whatever, to the extent that you hold tight to that, you will not hold to glory. The great white throne judgment coincides with the destruction of heaven and earth to be replaced with a new world, a better world. One, a heavenly one. 
Which means instead of thinking this is our home, instead of thinking of ourselves as permanent residents, we should hold loosely and constantly, constantly look ahead. Look up and look ahead. Constantly long for our forever home. That's the second thought that we must not miss from this passage. And then third, regarding the great white throne judgment, it's for unbelievers and believers alike. It's the final judgment of all mankind. It coincides with the resurrection, with the destruction, I'm sorry, of the world. And it's for unbelievers and believers alike, just like we found in verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, implying that some names were found which means everyone will stand before the great white throne. But it's even clearer in other scriptures, like Matthew 25, where Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and no doubt the Apostle John, as he was writing on the island of Patmos, would have been relying heavily on the knowledge of the believers of the other scriptures. All of the apostolic writers do it. There is no possible way they could reiterate and rehearse every single truth that they are referring to. Many times they just refer to it with a word or a phrase or a sentence. And I think that's part of what's going on here with John. I think he's calling and recalling Matthew 25 where Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, referring to himself, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Just like John saw in verse 11. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. All. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, the kingdom of a new world, the kingdom of new Jerusalem. Come and inherit that. And then after telling them why, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not just unbelievers who are present at the great white throne judgment, but believers as well. Jesus said it, John sees it, and the Apostle Paul confirms it, saying in places like Romans 14, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And 2 Corinthians 5, and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Sounds a lot like Revelation 20, doesn't it? Intentionally so. Which means there aren't three judgments as some people believe. A, a judgment of nations, a, a judgment of believers, and a judgment of unbelievers. There aren't three, but one. One final judgment at the end of time before the great white throne. Including unbelievers who are resurrected and punished. Unbelievers who are resurrected and punished. Resurrected, you say, well, what, what does that look like? I have no idea. I have no idea. All we know is, is that the implication from here and other scriptures is that the unbelievers are resurrected with some sort of physical body to stand before God, just like it says in verse 5 that we read earlier. 
They're, they're resurrected. And just like Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, do not marvel at this, he said, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the, the Son of Man, Jesus himself when he returns, will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, the Lord conflates both of them right now in this, these verses. We know from Revelation 20 that the resurrection of those to life is separated by a thousand years from the resurrection of those to judgment. But nonetheless, the point is they will be resurrected out of their graves, implying that they get some sort of a resurrection body. Certainly not a glorified body like the believers, but something. Already in hell as disembodied spirits, unbelievers will be resurrected at the end of the millennium, stand before the great white throne, and receive their final sentence, their final punishment. The only solution to which, hear me on this, the only solution to which is to repent and believe right now. Repent and believe right now. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not saved, if you haven't been adopted into the family of God by grace through faith, repent. As in, ask God to forgive your sins and turn from your self-serving life. Turn from your own way of doing things and your own way of thinking, your own goals and your own aspirations. Turn from all of that to Jesus. That's repentance. Ask forgiveness and turn. Repent and believe in Jesus. Right now, it's the only solution to the doom that awaits those who don't repent and believe at the great white throne. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he's God in the flesh and died on the cross for you. Personally, for you. We just read in Matthew 25 that there's going to come a day he's going to separate each one, it says, each one. It's not going to be like these massive groups, oh, you're out and you're in. No, it's each one. You go to my right, you go to my left. You go to my right, you go to my left. And the only solution to the left is to repent and believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and your forgiveness and then rose again for your life. Life to the full and life forever. Because the times of ignorance, the Bible says, your ignorance, if you haven't yet repented and believed, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And of this, of this judgment, this day of judgment that he has appointed, of this, he has given assurance to all, God has given assurance to all by raising him, raising Jesus from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus not only offers and guarantees our eternal life if we repent and believe, but it assures us that he will judge those 
who don't. Everything, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus, including Judgment Day. It assures us that God will judge those who don't repent and believe. It's for unbelievers, the great white throne judgment. And last but not least here, it's for believers. Believers who are saved and rewarded. How good is that? That's the judgment or decision for those who believe. It's salvation and blessing. Not that you don't have salvation now fully, but that you get it completely at the great white throne. Salvation and blessing because Jesus said that whoever hears my word and believes does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Has passed. Like our assurance, part of our assurance at the great white throne judgment that we will be on the right and welcomed into the glory and bliss of heaven and eternal life is that we've already passed from death to life. does not come into judgment because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like none. He paid it all. He paid all of our condemnation so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, the Bible says. No punishment, no worries, and no shame. Oh, no shame. Romans 10, 11 for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. Read it again. And again, and again, and again. And let it fill and fuel your soul to no end. And everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. That means our sins are not going to be announced at the great white throne. Our thoughts aren't going to be exposed. And our failures are not going to be highlighted. It's under the blood. All of it. Every last sinful thought. Every last sinful deed. Every last sinful everything is under the blood. And our name is written in blood, if I can so say. We are forgiven. And our sins are forgotten. Cast aside and cast away as far as the east is from the west. Never to be resurrected and brought back. That's why having your name written in the book of life trumps everything else. No shame. The only thing we get is rewards. Like it says in Revelation eleven eighteen, 18, it's a time for rewarding God's servants. It's what it says explicitly. It's a time for rewarding God's servants. Rewarding us with eternal life. Rewarding us with a, a new earth. Re rewarding us with a new city. Rewarding us with a new home that Jesus is preparing as we speak. John chapter 14. And all of that capped by the biggest reward of all, the very presence, Coram Deo, of God. We're going to be in the presence of God forever and ever. That's our reward. Thank God for that. 
In fact, thank God and rejoice. Yeah, praise the Lord. Like, thank God and rejoice. Seriously. I mean, there, there are some pretty difficult truths in this passage for sure that I've talked about. But this last one is a glorious one. So, so glorious one that we should hold fast to more than anything else. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward, Jesus said. Great is your reward. The greatest, I would say. So whatever you do, thank God. Rejoice always and hold fast. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful to be free of judgment and free of wrath. And God, would you, would you use this? Would you use this passage? Would you use this time? Would you use this sermon to convict those who don't believe? Would you do that, God? Somehow by your spirit. And will you use all of this to encourage those who do believe? Those who do follow you. Those who, who have repented of their sin and, and turned from their wicked way and turned from their own way. Oh God, use it to encourage the saints, I pray. Spur us on and live accordingly. All the while with a burden for sinners. A burden for sinners and a joy for saints. A joy for life. A joy for you. A hope that never fades. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.